Welcome to Thoughts from Home, your conservation podcast from the National Conservation Training Center. We're located along the Potomac River in historic Shepherdstown, West Virginia, and are home to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Welcome to Thoughts from Home. I'm Mike McAllister. I'll be your host today, and I'm here with Casey Johnson, who is a land management technician at NCTC. We are going to talk about NCTC's land management practices, specifically prescribed burns, which are planned fires, sometimes called controlled burns. They are used to manage certain types of landscapes. It reduces the chance of major wildfires and provides numerous other benefits for humans, plants, and wildlife. Can you tell me about yourself, Casey? Sure, absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me. I have been with NCTC for over a decade, part-time since 2009, full-time since about 2011 when I came on board. And since that time, I've been involved in any number of land management activities as it corresponded to our land management plans that we've had. Uh, One of those plans does include a fire management plan that we use to act as a tool to help us move the landscape in the direction that we want from a management standpoint. Okay. Do you want to talk about how prescribed burns fit into that shifting of the landscape? Absolutely. Now, in your introduction, I did hear you give a couple other names like controlled burning or prescribed burning. There's actually a couple other names for this type of burning. Another one is known as hazard reduction burning. So think about uh, an understory that is full of heavy down woody debris that you'd want to clear up to minimize that danger for, say, wildfires. If a, a wildfire came through, it would be a lot less devastating to the ecosystem and it'd be a shorter recovery time with those interventions ahead of time. So that's one way to look at prescribed burning in a landscape as a management tool. Another way to use fire is, say, in the prairie landscape or to improve a meadowland area. A lot of those plants do benefit from regular burning, and there's historical evidence of that. And because those plants have adapted to regular burning events, it makes them fire dependent. And from an ecological standpoint, you are creating more robust plants that would minimize being outcompeted by other plants that wouldn't normally be there, such as invasives. Okay. So you're saying we target meadows and grasslands along with forests? Because when I hear the word control burn and wildfire, I always think about trees. But you're saying it's important for grasses? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's, there's multiple benefits for having prescribed burning. Another one that comes to mind is, and I just saw this in an article recently, there's studies that show regular burning, it reduces the instance of ticks in the landscape. So by opening up the habitat for, let's say, spaces so that sunlight can get in and dry out some of the ground, of course, the grass grows back stronger, but in the meantime, it reduces tick populations So it makes 
controlling ticks a lot better in those areas where ticks are a problem. Oh, okay. So you, you can control different critters with it yep. and invasive species? Absolutely. And the invasive species part, uh, there's a whole host of literature on how to use fire to improve habitat for native species while reducing invasives. A lot of the invasives that do come to the United States aren't fire dependent, so you're weakening them every time that you have a, a prescribed burn. And also while you're bolstering the native vegetation, you're giving the native vegetation a chance to outcompete the invasives in those same areas. So without using, let's say, herbicides to control invasive plants, you're already using another tool in your toolbox to combat invasive plant species. So it's twofold. You control the invasives that you don't want, but you also give an opportunity for the native species to uh, propagate and uh, do better in the new burned environment? Yes, absolutely. I just think it's a, a great tool if you're able to use it correctly. Okay. Can you describe your experience in the fire world and maybe tell us a story about how long you've been doing this? Absolutely. So when I first came to NCTC, I did help and was part of getting the prescribed burning program going, which was a really eye-opening experience because I learned quite a bit. When I first came to the service, my background in fire was pretty limited, but the beauty about being with the service and being exposed to the different classes that are being offered in prescribed burning, wildfires, you learn with experience. So over the years, I've gotten to go on different prescribed burns. I've gone out west. I try and go out every year, at least once, and every place is different. You learn different landscapes. You get to experience slightly different methods for doing different things. An example would be, let's say, chainsaws. There's a whole separate class for just wildland firefighting chainsaw use. And an example that I can think of is, sure, you learn how to sharpen a chainsaw in the training class, how to maintain your equipment to the, you know, the highest readiness level it needs to be. But as you know, there's different methods or tools at your disposal to do basically the same thing. So it's really neat to go out on a Western fire detail and see these old seasoned sawyers. They'll realize that, you know, their, their saw's cutting a little dull. They want to, you know, take a break and sharpen it. And, you know, maybe they've got a buddy with them. They look over at their saw and they say, oh, well, that's a three-quarter inch .050 chain. I got one of those. And they'll blindly reach behind, grab a file out of their backpack, and they'll just go to town. They'll sharpen it just right, and they're quick. And those are the kind of things that you just really enjoy seeing because... Mm -hmm. You know, with experience comes efficiency and the knowledge and being able to pass that down to other folks is just really, really nice. Really great to see in the service. So, so there seems to be a lot of opportunity for continuing education and learning on the job learning from other fire crews. You guys are always training each other. Um, Absolutely. How would you describe this type of work? Is it, uh, do you find it fun? Do you find it arduous and tough? What are some key words that come to mind when you think about it? Definitely both of those. I would like to think that I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't enjoy the work, first of all. But as with most things that are worth doing, 
they're not always easy. Mm-hmm. And this work isn't for everybody. I understand that. But it's it's important that when you do decide to do work like this, you do want to be in the best physical shape as possible because the work is very demanding. The hours are long. The days are long. But it's just really rewarding. And I also, like I said earlier, really enjoy traveling to new areas of the country that I've never been to before. Granted, it's not for the best reasons, um, but you get to see a lot of great country. You're in a lot of remote places sometimes. And it's just, for me, a really rewarding experience. And I can't not mention enough being able to work with other great people throughout the service, even interagency, because Fish and Wildlife isn't the only ones out there doing fighting fires, yeah. fighting fires, you know, fire suppression, that sort of thing. So you really get to meet a lot of interesting people that, of course, share a lot of the same values and experiences, and, and they like to do a lot of the same things. Yeah. So it, it's just really fun. The uh, I'm sure the communities definitely appreciate the folks coming to help them as well. Yes, um, for sure. When you're considering prescribed burn, what are some of the things you need to think about, uh, such as weather, or is there a certain time of the year that you like to burn? And is there a safety plan or anything that... Tell us about the plans. <laughs> right. So I know these podcasts are meant to be on the shorter side, but we could probably spend <laughs> a lifetime talking about the considerations that someone would need to take into account to conduct a burn safely. Now, if we're talking specifically about the prescribed burning program, NCTC has its own prescribed burning plan, which I can tell you is 60 pages long because <laughs> I've, I know it back to front and we go over it and review it every time just to make sure that it's up to date and everything is uh, as it needs to be yeah. to, to safely conduct the burn. But just a short list of things to consider. So resource availability, who's available to actually conduct the burn. Now that's the qualified people, you know, what's the, what's the minimum requirement of people and are they up to date on all of their proficiencies and skills required to be fully qualified in the position that they're doing. But, you know, in, in terms of resources, we're also talking about equipment. Do they have the, the brush trucks or the side-by-side off-road vehicles that they need, the water tenders uh, standing by for water support, that sort of thing. Okay emergency medical plan. If something were to happen to an individual, we want to make sure that we have plans in place that cover them and and are safely taken care of if we need to stop what we're doing, reassess. And that comes into weather, personnel, equipment, you name it. Those are just a few considerations of, like I said, that 60-page plan. Yeah. Another thing that the service has is a 100-page document, which is the Fish and Wildlife Service Handbook for Firefighting. That's a completely separate document, and those are just two to speak of that pertain directly to the Fish and Wildlife Service and NCTC specifically. Okay. There are others. There's permitting that we need to get. Believe it or not, even though we're a federal agency, we still have to work directly with the state that we're operating in to make sure that they're aware of what we're doing Yeah. and that we have permission to do the thing. We're not a standalone agency that just gets to do what we want we, we definitely still have to involve all the other appropriate people we don't run rogue exactly considering time of the year is there a good time of the year to conduct prescribed burns so there is and for multiple considerations because we're a training facility we do have classes going on different times a year but more so more importantly 
to meet our goals of our prescribed burn as it's written in our plan, we want to make sure that we're maximizing our burning window. And what we've come to realize and have in our plan is that a spring burning is what we need to accomplish our goals. And part of that is because uh, we're burning off the dried vegetation from the previous year's growth. Okay. So we're clearing that ground. And as you can imagine, the, the fire spreads more readily on, you know, dry vegetation, dead vegetation. And when I say dead, I, I just mean the tops, the above ground portion. Okay. Um, what we're focusing mainly on is warm season grass areas and meadows. So by burning off that top vegetation, we are promoting that regrowth that sun insulation hits that ground, that darker ground, and promotes an earlier growth start, which, like I said, helps those native plants outcompete the invasive vegetation that, that's there. So springtime is best. The other thing is if we wait too long in the spring, we start getting the grass does come in. It does start to grow. So the more green up we get, the harder it is for fire to carry so when we decide what our cutoff date is, it's not just the green up, but it's also because of ground nesting birds. So mid-April is when this area starts really getting that incoming migratory bird, ground nesting bird population moving through the area. So we want to be wrapped up and done before then. So you give them an opportunity to build their nests and... and do their nesting thing. Absolutely. That was something I learned the first time I was involved with a prescribed burn was I didn't even realize that we needed to consider the ground nesting birds and I thought it was a pretty cool thing to think about. When we do burn the different units we do so in a rotation so we have let's say uh, fields that are broken up by fire breaks or control lines and when we burn a unit we make sure to leave the unit next to it unburned okay so that the critters in that area do have a place to hide out and and make sure that you know we're not taking all of their their home away uh so they do still have cover and because that grass grows back so quickly they quickly can repopulate that area that we burned and you know now that i'm thinking about it another reason why we do want to burn so early in the growing season is because there are a lot of hibernating critters such as let's say box turtles that, ah, that, yeah. that we we want to make sure are safe so the fact that they're in their burrows undercover we don't need to worry about them in the sense that when we're burning there's no way for them to say get out of the way they're still hibernating yeah. where, where they're spending their winter time and the turtle doesn't need to outrun the fire exactly yeah so so we're definitely conscious of the critters that use that space and make sure that they have uh, an alternate space nearby if they're mobile and out and about. That's that's a wonderful consideration for sure. I'm glad the fire professionals are in charge of this and I am not. <laughs> Can you talk about uh, the Fish and Wildlife's fire management and our approach to it from a conservation standpoint? How does it help our conservation goals? Sure. So the Fish and Wildlife as a conservation agency is worried about, you know, the more natural side of, you know, habitats and how they relate to the environments that we oversee. There are multiple ways to do the same thing. So if you consider, let's say, 
if we just wanted the meadow cleared of, of the vegetation, you know, why not just use a tractor with farm equipment? Mm-hmm. Well, early on, the NCTC training campus was previous agricultural use property. After we began using the facility, there was a farmer who was haying those fields, but we found that it was better for us to use fire as a management tool than it was heavy equipment for a lot of environmental reasons. Mm -hmm. And I've also seen articles that say the fire itself, the actual burning, helps with carbon sequestration in a sense where it abates greenhouse gases. So in that sense, you're not really going to get that from farming or the use of heavy equipment to accomplish what would be considered a similar goal. Okay. Oh, that's a neat outlook on it. I hadn't considered that. How often do we burn here at NCTC and how many acres do we typically burn? Every year we have different warm season grass fields or plots or units that we burn. We don't burn the same units every year or year to year unless there's a significant ecological reason to do so. And we average about, I want to say 30 acres every season with one year as an off year in case we have to do either a makeup burn because we the weather wasn't right or we didn't have the resources available insert reason here right yeah so for any reason we do have an off year or if we just need to reassess our goals and just make sure that we're doing what's right for the environment not just because we think this is how we're doing it this is how it should be done yeah you let your uh, surroundings steer your schedule exactly yeah so post burn we'll go out we'll assess what's coming back is it the vegetation we want is it coming back in a way we want it is the diversity we want there if not there are other tools to to help with that but yeah it's the the whole point is reassess and reevaluate and make sure it's what we want to happen awesome i know when i've driven by an area that has been burned it's amazing how fast it greens up and it's amazing how strong the plants come back i was very impressed the first time i witnessed it If someone was interested in getting involved in a controlled burn or the fire program, do you have any tips or suggestions on uh, what to do to get involved in those? In the federal agency, there are multiple contacts that do talk about how to get involved with the fire program. Those would be online resources, and it would depend on the region and who the coordinator would be and how the service handles that. Okay. Like I said, that that sometimes breaks down region to region. If you're outside of the federal service, there's certainly plenty of other local, state, regional, or tribal entities that also do plenty of wildfire work. I would say whatever area you're in, there's plenty of online resources. I would start there and get in contact with someone who can probably point you in the right direction. That sounds exciting. I may have to uh, check some of those resources out. So one other thing that I want to mention that we haven't covered yet so far is maybe some of the gear that might be needed. So obviously you don't want to show up to a prescribed burn or controlled burn situation in flip-flops and shorts. Although while that might be super (laughs) comfortable, we do have certain specific attire that we make sure every person on the fire line has besides just their qualification card. But, uh, we have, you know, long sleeve Nomex shirts. We have 
uh, similar long pants on, boots and socks. The, the boots themselves are very specific to the firefighting world in the sense that the soles are attached to the bottom of the shoe in a way where they're not going to delaminate okay. under under heat, which is very important. You don't want your shoes just uh, coming apart on you when you're walking around on, yeah. you know, maybe hot coals or something. So that's important. And uh, the other thing that we have on us at all times is our line gear, which can consist of any number of important tools that you need, uh, including a fire shelter, just because that's standard for all firefighters. That's important to have. And, you know, whatever tool you might have in your hand, be it a, a swatter or a shovel or, you know, if you're on the end of a, a nozzle connected to a, a water tender, just making sure that the fire isn't jumping the line or anything of that nature. So the equipment piece as it relates to personnel on the ground is the most important aspects of staying safe. What is Nomex? So Nomex is a fire resistant material that has been shown to protect. It's somewhat lightweight or can be lightweight and it definitely protects the firefighter from heat and, oh. and direct contact with flame. Although so it's a special cloth. That's what your yes, clothes yes, are made yes, out of. Yes, yes, yes. Exactly. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, usually a, a very bright yellow. Okay. Although with time and use, it, it does tend to dull a little bit. So it's important to replace those, especially if there's, you know, you get oil on them from, say, like a chainsaw or other equipment. It's, it's important to swap those out for newer ones. Is there anything our listeners can do to participate in fire management? Two words. Seek help. What's that mean? <laughs> Uh, seriously, though, I, I would say as much as folks want to get involved with prescribed burning, especially as it relates to their own properties, don't try and do it yourself. I would uh, reach out to maybe your local extension office or state agency, uh, local forester. Uh, there's plenty of, again, online resources to reach out. You'll probably want to develop a plan with measurable objectives, goals in mind. So for that, you're going to need the experience probably of a few different people. And for conducting the burn itself, there's a qualification system and private companies that you can contact to do that work for you. There's a lot of prep work ahead of time. I can certainly tell you that. But yeah, there's, there, there are options. I would just say make sure that you run through all the appropriate channels because I know we certainly have to. Yeah, and definitely safety and a controlled fire is the number one goal, I assume. Absolutely. Stay safe. Wonderful. I really appreciate your time today, Casey. Thank you for sharing with us about the prescribed burns. Thank you for listening to the National Conservation Training Center podcast series. If you have feedback, thoughts, or stories you'd like to share, contact us at nctc underscore podcast at fws.gov.